This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome inside the U.S. Open bubble and the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Brian Clark. In a bit, we'll hear from Leif Shiras. He's a former World Top 35 player. We'll discuss the stories from the rest of this U.S. Open. But right now, moments after Dominic Team came back from two sets to love down to beat Alexander Zverev and win the U.S. Open, I am joined by a man who's won this title a couple of times, Mark Woodford, the Tennis Hall of Famer. Mark, that was incredible. We called it together. What did we just see? Well, we saw, uh, certainly saw a piece of history. Um, you know, the fact that uh, first-time uh, Grand Slam winner in uh, X amount of years. Um, we're so used to seeing the big three, uh, you know, take the, these major titles. But, uh, you, you know, huge effort by Dominic Team, First ever to come back from t- uh, two sets to love and win his uh, maiden Grand Slam. But it was, uh, you know, just such a battle between the uh, both competitors out there you got to feel a touch of sadness though for Sasha Zverev who uh, was on the precipice of taking it um, uh, but maybe hit with a, a few nerves look uh, a sensational result for Dominic Team, though what does this mean for both of them career-wise yeah it means Dominic Team's a major champion it means we just saw Zverev take maybe the hardest loss of anyone we've seen in a while where do they go from here well, clay is the short answer but really where well I, I would expect you know a bright future for both. I mean, I think if there was anyone that was deserving of uh, today's victory was Dominic Team. I mean, he has been the bridesmaid uh, uh, three times previously, and it's like an apprenticeship. You've got to learn how to navigate your way, and he's just fallen at that last hurdle a few times. Uh, obviously, there's a, a help that uh, two of the top three weren't here, and then with the, the default of Novak Djokovic, that kind of was a different pressure on Dominic Team that from midway through the tournament, he had to shoulder, but he stood up to that challenge. And, you know, even though he was down two sets to love, an, an early break of serve, um, I don't think he ever stopped believing that he could actually get back into the match. That, that shows the tremendous fighting qualities of the Austrian. Um, you know, I, I would have thought the first Grand Slam might have come on clay because that's the surface that he's grown up on and and had reached a couple of finals previously but uh, he wins on hard court I think he's a player that could win on other surfaces as well the Australian Open Wimbledon is certainly viable um, but the same could be applied for Sasha Zverev the guy that has won multiple titles on all of the surfaces uh, I, I think a, a young career is only going to keep improving for Sasha Going to be heartbreak, though, for the next 24 hours. And then one final thought. Just You mentioned the, the two big guys, Nadal, Federer, not here. Djokovic defaulted early. Does all that put an asterisk on this tournament for you? It's something people talk about. It's something a lot of people feel very strongly about. Where do you weigh in? Look, they had the option to, to, to come. Uh, Rafa did, obviously, Roger um, under some injury concerns. But, you know, that's what happens in a, in a year, um, uh, even though the tennis has just returned from hiatus. But, you know, they, um, it, it could have happened. Uh, if there was no hiatus at all, we might have not had uh, the players. That could have easily been injured. So, for me, it's not necessarily an, an, an asterisk. Um, uh, you, you know, he still had to get through two weeks, seven matches, best of five sets, 
and he played an a- absolute t- uh, electrifying uh, and nerve-wracking final today. Those immediate thoughts from Mark Woodford after a match unlike any we've ever seen. Alexander Zverev raced out through the first two sets. He was up a break in the third. He was games away from the U.S. Open title, but that's where team's rally began. He won the third set, and then the Austrian took the fourth. He pushed the final to a fifth set for the second year in a row, and that fifth set was really a test of nerves. Each player served for the match. Each was broken, and that sent us into the first-ever fifth-set tiebreak at the U.S. Open. And once we got there, the tension followed, but team ultimately remained steady. He won that tiebreak 8-6. He's the first-ever champion in the Open era to come back from two sets to love down to win the U.S. Open. He's the first person ever born in the 1990s to win a major title. World number three, the first Austrian to win a major in 25 years. Historic stuff in this most unusual U.S. Open. Just an incredible run for Dominic Team, who, of course, lost his first match in the Cincinnati event that was held here. He was beaten there by Philip Krajinovic, but he ends his run in New York as the U.S. Open champion for 2020. But what a time it was, and to really break it down in all the drama and shocks we saw over the last couple of weeks, I was pleased to be joined before the final by Leif Shiras. Let's take a listen. We are here with the former Princeton Tiger, the former world number 31. He's now a commentator across a variety of outlets. You can see him in the U.S. on Tennis Channel. He's been alongside the entirety here on U.S. Open Radio. I'm joined by Leif Shires. Leif, welcome. We made it. We got through the U.S. Open. (laughs) It's great to be with you. And, yeah, it's been another exciting season, unprecedented in so many ways. But we're excited to have sort of gotten through it. And it's been you know, historical in some way that we have been able to do it. The USTA has done a great job making it safe. And I think the players are very satisfied with the event. Now, we hope this was a one-off, that next year it's a more conventional tennis season and more conventional U.S. Open. But what did we learn from these really unusual circumstances? Well, I think, you know, one thing is we love our sport and we missed our sport. I think we learned about players and their dedication to the sport. I think Tennis also has a conscience about it that players try to do the right thing, the men and the women. And, um, you know, I think we're all better for being together. I think we represent the sport well. I think we, you know, sort of represent what athletes can be and all the things they can stand for. So I, I think it really has been a great fortnight in some ways. Obviously a little bit sad that there aren't people in the stands. But I think there's been a lot of good done here. Now, This tournament will likely be remembered for our champions, of course, but also for what you just mentioned, the fact that it's been such an unusual set of circumstances with no fans amid the pandemic, and it'll be remembered for what happened to Novak Djokovic. So let's get that out of the way now. The default against Pablo Carreño Busta. Is this something that's going to hang over him for a long time, or does this unusual schedule, he's right back at it in Rome, then the French Open, can that give him kind of a quick way to get over it, get it out of the system? You hope so. You know, obviously this is a a mark that's going to stay for a little while. I don't think his career will be defined by it. I know we still talk about John McEnroe being, you know, disqualified from the Australian Open when he sort of lost track of the code of conduct violation steps and he didn't realize that the rules had changed. So he missed one step and was disqualified. You know, I think people will sort of remember him because of that. He's had a, a tough season, let's say, you know, with the Adria Tour. So... You know, I think it's best that he get back out on the tennis court and, you know, sort of redefine himself once again for his tennis and maybe not for the things that have happened to him that have gone the wrong way. 
going into this tournament, if you had said, okay, no Nadal, no Federer, and we all penciled in Djokovic as the champion, or at least playing deep into the tournament, the bizarre happened. But once that did go off, when you look at the final four of this tournament, I would say three of those four, you would think, okay, if, if young guys are going to take that next step and do it, here they are, and that's what happened with Medvedev, team, Zverev, the fourth, Pablo Carreño Busta is a surprise. We'll touch on him in a moment. But those three, that's got to be encouraging about the future. It does. And it also says that these guys, the three of them, Medvedev, team, and Zverev, you know, guys who've been in the top 10 for a couple of years now. Team's been there, what, four years? Zverev, three years. These guys all have waited their time, and now they've got a spot to win a Grand Slam title. So I think they bided their time, but there's a layer of younger players below that. Rublev and Dimonaur and Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliassime and Tiafo and Fritz, all these guys who are sort of in that next tier who are waiting to do what these guys are doing now. So it's amazing to think that what the last Grand Slam champion was Marin Cilic. Was that 2014? Was it six years ago? I mean, it's amazing the stranglehold in terms of majors that the top guys have had. So in my mind, I actually think it's good for tennis. And I think it's good for all of us. I think it's good for our sport to have a fresh face and a fresh name raising a big and important trophy. Does it feel like it could be a floodgate moment? Like once you win one, then a whole bunch of others follow? Or then you've got, oh, here we're on clay, and now I'm staring across the net at Rafa Nadal? (laughs) That's a really good question. You know, you have to feel like Novak and Rafa, and I'm sure Roger, who's been sitting on the sidelines and will come back next year, they all have, you know, they want to do big things still in the game. So I I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. I think Rafa's probably got a few more good years. Novak, I mean, he's ambitious. He wants titles. He wants weeks at number one. And I think he wants the recognition of arguably being the greatest player of all time, which if he continues in the fashion he has been, he might earn those accolades by virtue of the numbers he's putting together. And Andy Murray still wants a shot at making runs. So I think these top four, and particularly the big three, are still going to be around for a while. And I think what's going to make the biggest transition is when these guys start beating those three more consistently. You know, Zverev's beaten all those guys, so has team, but can they do it consistently so that those guys don't come back and win more majors? It's going to be an amazing thing to look forward to. A lot of people have high expectations for Dominic team. They've had them for a while. He's 27. He turned 27 during this tournament. So it's, you think of him as one of these young guys. He's not quite as young as some of the other members of the last four here. A couple of things that are interesting is how much he has changed. Because when he first came up and burst onto the scene, he's a clay court guy. It was his best surface, most success there. His first Masters title was Indian Wells, where he beat Roger Federer, one of those occasions you mentioned. Are we overlooking the transformation of Dominic Team into this really good all-court player? Uh, well, we may have a little bit. You know, I I think he won you know a couple other hard court titles. Most of his titles have come on clay. I think ten or eleven of the sixteen. But you're right that we need Wells' title. I think was when he really burnished his reputation as a guy who can play on hard. Obviously, the conditions there are a little bit slower, so he could you know sort of play his game. But I also think that Nicholas Massou, his coach, has gotten him to think a little more aggressively, play a little more of an all court game obviously still ground stroke base but the guy has a great serve and a consistent return and he's a great athlete and I think he's been a lot stronger than some of the younger players emerging and that strength the physical strength that he has has allowed him to compete and maybe be the next guy 
I think he certainly has that title now just by virtue of having played well in Melbourne, playing well here in New York, and obviously a couple of finals in Roland Garros. So he's wearing, um, you know, sort of the prince's crown. I'm sure he'd like to have the king's crown next. But obviously Rafa's, you know, he's not going to surrender that easily. And Novak, as we talked about him, you know, it's still going to be a challenge for Dominic, but I know that he can get those guys. And I don't think we're overlooking him at all, but I think for him to take the next step into the biggest, brightest spotlight, he's got to knock off one of those guys in a major final. Glad you brought up Nicholas Massou because they started working together, I think, three weeks before 2019 Indian Wells. Boom, team goes out and wins the tournament. Do you often see those coach pairings that just seem to click the way this one has? Yeah, and, you know, he had such a long uh, run with Gunther Bresdick, who took him a long way, developed him as a young player uh, out of uh, Austria. But I think with Nicholas, it was some fresh ideas and it was some sort of new ways of thinking about the game that really struck the right chord. I think that's what happens with these elite guys. They hear the right things. They make a connection. There's a fair amount of respect there with all the achievements that Masu has. So, you know, I think Zverev's looking for the same kind of things with David Ferrer. And all these top guys look for any edge they can get. And they're going to look hard. They're going to listen hard. And sometimes it can come from Nicholas Massu. Other times it can come from, you know, who knows who it might be. But look what Andy Murray did when he heard what Yvonne Lendl was saying. So any edge they can find that's going to help them get over, it's going to happen. And I'm really happy for Nicholas Massu and Dominic Team for the collaboration they have. Interesting, as we talked with Leif Shivers here on the ATP Radio podcast, the Cincinnati event was here in the bubble, that Masters event, because of the unique circumstances we're in. Team goes out, loses his first match in Cincinnati. Zverev goes out, loses his first match in Cincinnati. Then they're in the U.S. Open final. So they had the long layoff. But you see Naomi Osaka, Victoria Azarenka get to the Cincinnati final, then get to the U.S. Open final. You see Djokovic win Cincinnati. Presumably would have gone further here in New York than he, he did with that early default what do those runs and those results, do they say anything to you about rest, the importance of rest, if we're overemphasizing the importance of rest? What do you make of this? Um, you know, these elite players, I don't make much of it. I, I think that, you know, wins and losses, at some point you have to be able to process success and failure. And these guys are as good as anyone at doing that. You know, Rafa and Roger and Novak, I think maybe set the example at the bar for how to deal with challenges in a career. So, I didn't really make too much of it. I did think it was a little surprising that team won only three games in his singles match. That was a little bit surprising. But, you know, maybe he needed that as a reminder that, hey, I got to get my foot back on the gas. That just didn't go well. So, yes, I think they learned from it, but I think they put it away and start processing positives for here in New York at the U.S. Open. So um, everyone's journey is a little bit different. And I think everyone adapts to their own personal journey. And then we look forward because of this unconventional schedule. We've got the Rome Masters, the French Open just around the corner. Can you make heads and tails of what we're going to see over the next few weeks when you're changing time zones, you're changing surfaces, we're coming back after the restart, we're still working our way back in. We haven't seen some of the big names, Walrinka, Fonini, Nadal, some of the clay court stalwarts of the past couple of years. We'll see them on clay. Do we know what to expect? I, well, I think this is what's making this season so upside down. <laughs> After the North American hardcore season, we go to clay. Normally, it's clay to the hardcore season. So I don't think we can. I think that the guys who have been in Europe, Stan Wawrinka's played clay court challengers. Rafa's had 
couple of weeks now of training at his place in Spain, and now he's back in Rome. Novak, because of his disqualification, he'll have some preparation. I mean, generally, if you think about the time change, guys coming over late, well, for every hour in the time change, is it a day to get right? Maybe. Uh, but I think you're going to see some guys making pretty quick adjustments. It's a tricky adjustment in terms of movement and how your body reacts. Maybe a little more stress on the groin and the, the sliding that goes on on a clay court. Movement's very different. So I think physically there are going to be some challenges. I, I'd hate to see guys getting injured if they try and make that move too early, if their bodies are fatigued and the surface isn't right. But I think it makes for a pretty exciting time because it, w- it might be a little bit unpredictable, particularly for the guys who are coming over a little bit late. It is unprecedented. And just one more before we wrap up. You mentioned we hope nobody gets hurt, and we hope that every time. But there was some concern going into this Cincinnati U.S. Open double. Okay, you ramp it right up from the shutdown to you're playing a Masters event. Then you're playing best of five. And it seemed like everybody was ready physically, and there hasn't really been any significant problems because of those things. Yeah, and I think for players, you need to talk to trainers and fitness guys. They're going to say, hey, you need to take a week to 10 days off. And most guys will bristle at that because they love the sport. Okay, I'll take a week off. But then, hey, can I get back on the court? How how many hours can I put in? I think these guys love the sport. It's part of their lives. It's hard for them to let it go for many of these guys. So I think a forced break was really good for a lot of the guys. I think it reset their bodies. Guys who had some injuries were able to get it right. And I think it's amazing how guys came in and slotted into three out of five and managed pretty well, I thought, considering with the first week here in New York was fairly extremely hot. Um, but now the test begins as we transition from time zones to different surfaces, and that'll be tested again. So I think you're talking about some of the best athletes in the world. I'd put, rank them right out there with basketball players in terms of athleticism and agility. Now we have the added challenge of travel and surface change and things like this. So Hopefully guys can stay healthy. I think they're excited to be playing wherever it is and whatever time it is <laughs> they wake up in the morning. Now, I can't let you go without putting you on the spot one more time. You will remember this U.S. Open as blank. There's so many ways to look at this thing. I mean, you just have to think of the bubble. There were so many challenges to existing in the bubble. We saw other major sport leagues getting it done. And tennis, I think, answered the bell. I think world team tennis maybe set a small standard for what was possible. The USTA took the baton and has carried it through this fort in an incredible way. And I think, yes, we did have a few issues. I think that was going to happen. You know, we weren't as lucky as the NHL who had, what, 7,500 negative tests. I think we had one small issue uh, with Benoit Paire and a few things related to players around him. But other than that, I I think it was a very successful event. And, uh, yeah, into the bubble, boys. <laughs> it was hotel in sight. We didn't get many trips down to Manhattan and PJ Clark's for a burger and a beer, but we did have an amazing event, and it shows that tennis survives, and it's going to continue to thrive. Hopefully, we'll be better for it next year. Yeah, PJ Clark's is always a New York staple. <laughs> Thanks, Leaf. Thank you. Thanks once again to Leaf Shiras. So Dominic Team, the U.S. Open champion for 2020 in the most dramatic circumstances, coming back from two sets to love down to beat Alexander Zverev. But we also know we won't see either of them in Rome. Both opted to sit that one out. Certainly understandable after this grueling U.S. Open performance. They'll recover have had a roll on Garros, but while they won't be in Rome, that draw is stacked. Headed, of course, by the world number one, Novak Djokovic. We'll also see Rafa Nadal taking to court once again, along with Gael Monfils, Fabio Fanini, Stan Wawrinka, and Kei Nishikori. They all missed the U.S. Open. Also some cracking first-round matchups, including Philip Krajinovic against Felix Auger-Aliassime. 
Born at Church meets Christian Garen. Karen Hatchinov against Kasper Rude. Marin Chilich takes on the always enigmatic Alexander Bublik. Kevin Anderson meets Ugo Umber. And Guido Pella's back in action since having to miss out on Cincinnati and the U.S. Open because of a positive COVID test. He takes on the U.S. Open quarterfinalist Denis Shapovalov. Man who pushed Andy Murray all the way, Yoshihito Nishioka, takes on the Kitzbühel champion, Miamir Ketsmanovic. Benoit Pair tangles with Yannick Sinner. Daniel Evans and Hubert Hurkacz. Rafa Nadal, Pablo Carreña Busta. They've got first round buys, but they will face each other in the second round. You'll hear all the action live on ATP Tennis Radio. The live channel is available via the Listen button on the ATP website, on the TuneIn Radio website and app, and via the Tennis TV app. Just click on the radio option. We'll be on air 30 minutes before play gets underway each day with discussion and interviews. And if you can't be with us for the live action, join us here on the weekly ATP Tennis Radio podcast next weekend, where we'll look back on events in Rome and ahead to the third Grand Slam of the year. I'm Brian Clark. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.